You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is broadcast in over 20 community radio stations across the country. If you're listening to the Anarchist World This Week and your local community radio station doesn't broadcast the Anarchist World This Week, knock on the station manager's door and find out why not and organise it. Anyway, you can always access the uh, podcast by going to 3cr.org.au and don't forget this program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au so if your local community radio station doesn't broadcast the Anarchist World this week, doesn't matter where you are in the universe. Well, I exaggerated there. Facts don't really matter in 2021, do they? So you can actually broadcast, access us, who knows, let's move on, I'm not into technology as you know. Now what a week, now what I try to do every week, and the key word is try, T-R-Y, is, is you know, use an anarchist lens, you like that, analogy, an anarchist lens to analyse what's happened in the past week, and a lot of things have happened in the past week, and most of them Interestingly, when uh, we hear the so-called alternative media, that's the government girls at ABC and the corporate-owned media, we're not the alternative, they're the alternative, you know. They only canvas one particular philosophical and economic viewpoint. So they're the alternative, we're the media that act, that looks at everything. So most of them have forgotten their history. So if you wonder what an anarchist lens is, it's the anarchy without rulers. Anarchos, from the Greek, without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You remove their walking sticks. And what are their walking sticks? Inequalities in power and wealth. So if you're involved in the struggle to devolve power, that's share power and hold wealth in common, then well, whether you admit it or not, you're an anarchist. So... Let's move on. So that's what an anarchist lens is. We're looking at things in that in that light. Aged Care Royal Commission, one of the most important royal commissions uh, that's been held in this country since the uh, Death in Custody Royal Commission, which was held during the Hawke era. An extraordinarily important royal commission, which has been two years in the making, which the Morrison-led government, which is taking credit for it, was forced to hold because of, let's not forget, the Four Corners expose, of what was happening in aged care facilities across the country. It was something that you and I knew 
but obviously the rest of the population wasn't aware of. And uh, what we need to do is we need to put a historical background on this. Now, let's not forget that all this is due to the fact that in 1997, during the Howard regime, you know, the great days of Howard, you know, the great man who looked after the elderly, the sick, the poor, the disabled, a little bit like Jesus Christ, you know, they... they um, they passed the Aged Care Act. And what was the Aged Care Act? The Aged Care Act in 1997, if you read it, was that was organised and passed for the providers, for the private providers. Because what the Howard-led regime, and I use the word regime here, did in 1997 was put all the eggs in the basket of the providers. There's no rights as far as aged care is concerned. Uh, the private health care providers were very adamant that they would not enter the health care industry unless they were given certain, uh, you know, certain things. And this meant that the ratios regarding staff and residents was removed. The ratio regarding registered nurses was removed because there are some in de- fields of human endeavour where it's very difficult to extract a profit. And aged care is one of those areas which is very labour-intensive. So if you need to make a profit and you want to invest money in the aged care sector, you need to be able to decrease your labour costs. And if you decrease your labour costs, you decrease the type of care and uh, food that you're able to provide to residents in nursing care facilities. And the Aged Care Commission highlighted that over one-third of uh, residents in aged care facilities are nutritionally challenged, which means they don't get enough food to eat. When you, when you use $3 a day to feed a human being, you know, it doesn't get you very far, and that's what many of these privately run nursing homes were doing. And the fact is that the nursing home sector was basically set up through the Aged Care Act. The private sector was established in 1997 and to make matters worse, the regulatory authorities which were set up by the government to regulate the private providers did not have enough staff or resources to regulate these providers. So the providers saw the elderly as cash cows, because the federal government pays 85% of every dollar which is invested in the aged care sector. So they saw it as a a road to the Treasury. So this is one thing the Royal Commission didn't mention. The situation that we have catastrophic, catastrophic failures in the aged care sector which have maximal impact, not just on the residents, but also on the staff, is directly related to government legislation which opened the industry, and let's call it industry because it's an industry, to the private sector. And that's why you have nutritional problems. That's why you have care problems. That's why staff lose it and become, in a a significant number of cases, so stressed, they take out that stress 
on residents because management does not care. Now, obviously, there are some good nursing homes, some good aged care facilities. But the legislation that was put in place ensured that the bad prospered at the expense of the good. It's quite extraordinary that with the same amount of money, some nursing home facilities provide excellent care and others provide terrible care. And the difference is the maximising of profits. And that's what it's about, maximising profits. When you've got large corporations, which are publicly listed, been involved in the healthcare industry and the aged care industry, you begin to see these problems. So these problems are a direct consequence of the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation mantra that we have been chanting as a community for the last 40 years. And now we, not me, not you, well, maybe there are people in aged care facilities and on home care packages listening to this program, uh, reaping those benefits. And the tragedy is that Conservative government after Conservative government, Liberal National Party after Liberal National Party government, has been elected into power because of the votes of the over 65. Over 65% of people, over 65, vote for the Liberal National Party and have continued to vote for the Liberal National Party, while the Liberal National Party has basically put legislation in place which has allowed the fox, the wolf, to come into the hen house, the aged care hen house. And they just see elderly people as just another investment opportunity. So although the Royal Commission has made various recommendations, ultimately, obviously it has to be funded, but that is not the issue. The central issue, as far as I'm concerned and many other commentators are concerned, is the fact that the private aged aged care sector has been growing at the expense of the not-for-profit sector. And when you look at the deaths due to COVID-19, especially in Victoria, you can see that most of them occurred in the private sector. So it's not just a matter of giving more money to bad players, and that's my great concern. What needs to happen is the bad players either up their game and decrease the profits to shareholders or they're forced out of the industry. And unfortunately, very few commentators and people are talking about this, about the number of bad players who are being rewarded by your taxes. Because as I said before, 85% of, 85% of every dollar which goes to the aged care sector, especially the residential aged care sector, comes from your taxes, which are paid to the federal government. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Let's move on to another Royal Commission in Victoria, Mental Health Royal Commission, which again has taken a number of years to complete. Now, it's all very well for the Andrews-led Labor government to beat itself on the chest and say, 
Ma, it's my fault. We're going to change. We're going to do things. Anybody involved in the healthcare sector, anybody who's had any personal experience uh, with mental health issues, personally or relatives, will know that this system has been a crisis-based system. There has never been enough beds to deal with acute psychiatric issues and there has never been enough facilities and staff to prevent crises from spiralling out of control. And to a significant degree, the deaths we've seen at police hands of people with major psychiatric disorders is directly linked to the catastrophic failures of the system. Now, everybody knows that. Everybody has known this for many years. And again, we need to look historically at what happened to mental health in this, in this state because state governments are responsible for state health systems. Although they get some Commonwealth assistance financially, it is in their bailiwick. Aged care facilities, it's a federal government responsibility. Mental health, it's a state government responsibility to provide the infrastructure and services. When the deinstitutionalised movement was around in the 1970s, they had very lofty aims, and the lofty aims were based on the concept of the government of the day providing the resources to close down the asylums and institutional facilities which kept people in for years and move that care into the community. But once again, we saw governments, especially state governments and especially the Victorian government, refuse to adequately fund mental health care. Year after year, government after government, Liberal, Liberal Party or Labor Party, mental health was always put on the back burner. And what the Royal Commission has demonstrated it is nothing new. It has demonstrated a system which is so understaffed, so under-resourced, that all they can do is try to deal with crises as they occur. If there are not enough mental health beds to admit people with an acute psychiatric episode, and many of these people have been rejected from accidents emergency departments and then suicided because of their mental health issues, we know we have a problem. Coroner after coroner in Victoria has highlighted the fact that the mental health system is in disarray. We didn't need a Royal Commission to tell us this was a disarray. What the Andrews-led government is, is bought itself two years of time by holding the Royal Commission. And now it says it's going to accept every finding of the Royal Commission. What a load of garbage. We heard that with the federal Deaths in Custody Royal Commission. I think it was in 1998, 1999. 
and we still haven't seen everything implemented, all the recommendations implemented. And it's the same in this situation. This is a safe, face-saving situation because what we need is major reform because the paradox is that although we live in a society which is relatively violence-free, because of increasing competition, we are seeing increasing anxiety in the community, which is manifests itself in various forms of psychiatric disturbances. It's quite tragic that Australia has the second highest rate of mental illness in the Western world. And to a large degree, these increasing rates are directly attributable to the type of society we have created, a society which is based on the concept of private investment for private profit, a society where the state has removed itself from the job of regulating private enterprise by removing regulation. A state which has outsourced all its responsibilities to the private sector, meaning that up to 40 to 45% of every dollar which is provided by the state to provide a service goes into the profit margins and uh, day-to-day running costs of privately run organisations, privately owned organisations, which are creating, which are providing services which should be run by the state government. Now, if there's one thing I found quite surprising about the Victorian Mental Health Royal Commission was the fact that the commissioners made the recommendation that 2,000 social, you hear the word, social housing units be provided for emergency accommodation for people with psychiatric, with acute psychiatric disorders. Social housing, that is privately owned housing. It's as if the Royal Commission doesn't seem to understand the central issue isn't the fact that the state isn't providing services, but the fact that the private sector now dominates the provision of mental health services to the community. So if we're going to see a whole series of community mental health centres set up, not just in the Melbourne area, but also in regional regional Victoria, these services need to be staffed, owned, run by the government of the day, not by a private corporation, which, uh, you know, is there to make a profit out of providing that service. We don't want the same disaster which occurred with uh, COVID-19 and hotel restrictions to occur in this new system. We don't want this new system to be based on the private model because irrespective of how many so-called organisations you have to police the private model, as we've seen in the aged care sector, it doesn't work because they don't have the resources or the parliamentary legal position to deal with uh, fly-by-nighters in this particular industry. And again, it is an industry, the mental health industry. 
So there are a lot of issues that have been raised by these two royal commissions. But in my opinion, remember I've been involved in the healthcare area for over 45 years, so I have seen a bit in that time. The two things that have been forgotten is the role that neoliberalism, that's deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation and globalisation, have played in the current situation where both systems, the aged care system and the mental health system, not just in Victoria but the rest of Australia, is not fit for purpose. And the fact that if we continue to wash our hands of that responsibility in these two areas and assign it to the private sector, we will continue to have the same problems and continue to waste taxpayers' money on private organisations to provide services on behalf of state and federal governments. And that's the central issue. That is the central issue that everybody seems to have forgotten. It's not about the fact that the system has failed, but why has the system failed? And it's not just a matter of money. It's a matter of philosophy. It's a matter of ideology. There are certain things in society certain services that should be provided by the public sector, that should be subsidised by the taxpayer, that should be cross-subsidised by the taxpayer. And that's the issue at hand. And, And I'm not talking about handing over cash to the private sector to provide those services, but creating infrastructure which is government-owned and government-run to provide services, at least if it's government-owned and government-run, you, as an elector, have the ability to change the situation by forcing governments to change policies if they're inadequate in particular areas. As far as leaving it in the hands of the private sector, there'll be no change. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. You want to get further information about uh, things, you'll always go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, where I uh, deal with many of these issues. You can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. You can go to Public Housing Everybody's Business. And the list goes on and on. You can go to anarchistmedia.org, pub- Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. And if you're not computer literate, don't despair. You can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, or you can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com, or pipsy or info at pipsy.net. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. As I said... This has been a week for news. But I think I think the important thing to remember is we do not want to go down the same path which delivered these catastrophic failures in both the aged care sector nationally and the mental health care sector in Victoria. Let's move on. Now, you have to wonder... You really have to wonder about the crossbenches in the Victorian Legislative Council. A few months ago, was it six or seven months ago, you know, I made a hellabaloo of the fact that the 
the animal rights uh, member in the legislative Victorian Legislative Council, the uh, Greens member in the Victorian Legislative Council, and the Reason member in the Reason Party member in the um, legis- Victorian Legislative Council voted to give the Victorian state government the power to continue their draconian uh, legislative uh, agenda as far as COVID-19 is concerned. And I made the recommendation, a very simple recommendation, that fine, give them the power, but limit it to four weeks and review it every month. That's what we elect parliamentary representatives to do, review the situation, review it. Now, over the last 48 hours, or last week, we've heard, especially the Reason Party, crap on about the fact that they were looking at the government's request to extend emergency powers in Victoria for another nine months and they were discussing the possibility of blocking these powers. Guess what? Once again, the cross benches crumbled. Instead of limiting the emergency powers to a month-by-month basis, They've given the Victorian state government the power to use these emergency powers for the next nine months. Talk about crumbling. Extraordinary. Quite extraordinary. So, you know, the next Victorian state election in about two years' time, 18 months' time, not as a 20 months' time, I should say, think about it. Do you really want to support cross-party members who crumble in the face of the Andrews-led government when they had the possibility of limiting those emergency powers. Look, I've got no problems with emergency powers during the COVID-19 crisis, but I do have problems about giving government an extraordinary time period in which to use those emergency powers. Because these emergency powers, it's quite interesting... We are currently using them for a health crisis. But what we've seen over the last year or so is that these emergency powers can be used for any type of crisis. It can be a political crisis, like we see in Myanmar, where emergency powers and even states of disasters can be introduced at a government's whim in an attempt to derail reform Movements, especially reform movements, which have taken to the streets. So it's not just about the fact that they're used in a health emergency, but it's the fact that the Victorian state government and other state governments have the ability to close borders and uh, issue emergency powers which restrict freedom of movement, freedom of association, freedom of speech. Because let's not forget there are a number of people facing conspiracy charges currently in Victorian courts because, you know, they were organising demonstrations. So think about it. Think about it. These emergency powers, it's not just a health issue. It's the issue of keeping a government to account. Fine. There's a health emergency. They get a month. If they need another month, Parliament sits again and gives them another month. What do we pay them for? Last year, I think the legislature, the uh, Victorian Parliament sat for 50 days, or it could have even been less, I think 48 days, I could be wrong, but uh, out of 365 days, I'd love to have a job where I only have to go to work 55 days. And they say, oh, well, we've got to be in our office. Well, that's a different matter. Let's move on. Facts. (sighs) Interesting, isn't it? 
facts, 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 facts. Obviously, 2021 is a fact. Well, 2020 was a fact for a year, and uh, 2021 is a fact for a year. But I have noticed uh, that people are starting to kick back, you know, against the people who think the earth is flat, that uh, immunisation plays with your uh, DNA permanently. I do remember when I got my tetanus injection, I grew a tail, but that's obviously it affected my DNA. But the list goes on and on. So there's, there's opinions and facts. Now, we're led to believe that all facts matter. All right? All facts matter. If it's a fact, it matters. It's interesting that in our society that only some facts matter as far as the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC and people in authority and people in positions, you know, the public service. Some facts matter and other facts don't matter. So what are the facts that matter in Australia in 2021? Well, the facts that seem to matter are those facts that reinforce the status quo. That's right. Any fact which goes against the current system of government, which is based on the concept of private investment for private profit and which is based on the concept of the state allowing the private sector to do what it likes of minimal interference, is irrelevant and you don't hear it. So so radio stations, television stations, internet sites, podcasts that tell you that all facts matter are basically not telling you the truth. Because I know I can tell you certain facts today which will never become a major issue in this country because it goes against the current national narrative. Fact. Our resources are, our natural resources, and I'm talking about mining resources, are owned by a handful of corporations who are making an extraordinary amount of profit from mining these resources and paying minimal taxation back to the Treasury. It's a fact. The fact that if we nationalised, without compensation, these resources, which are ours, which belong to First Nations people and the rest of the country, which are ours, that if we exploited these resources on behalf of ourselves, like the Norwegians, we could have found ourselves in a situation where we had a wealth fund which had trillions of dollars in it and which could provide for an adequate aged care system, for an adequate mental health care system at a national and state level, for an adequate health care system, the list goes on and on. But this is the type of fact people don't want to talk about because it goes against the narrative of private investment for private profit. Another fact. Irrespective of what statistical analysis you use, 
We have growing inequality in this country. I'm not talking about income. I'm talking about growing inequality. Where we see two sections of the population, which make up less than 10% of the population, doing very, 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 very well from legislation which allows them to legally rort the rest of their fellow citizens and residents, fellow Australians. Think about it. The 1% who own the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication have never had it so good. No wonder we have a growing band of billionaires and multimillionaires in this country. With government moving aside and not regulating and not taxing, obviously they're going to maximise their profits. And unfortunately, we're seeing the same philosophical basis move into green capitalism. Same thing. And then we have that 8% of the population that have enough disposable income to use this country's investment-friendly laws to maximise their profits without, without paying, with, with paying minimal taxation. And I'm talking about you know, negative gearing, franking credits, corporate welfare, and the list goes on and on. And this is a fact. We don't hear about that fact. Occasionally we hear about 700,000, well, up to a million now, I'm told, children living in poverty in this country out of a population of 25 million. But it's not a central issue. It's not a central issue. It's something we just accept. Poverty, you know, it's just something that we have to accept in this country, which, which is a lot of garbage. Then we have the fact that we have a treasurer who is so intellectually challenged that he is happy that housing prices have increased by around 2% in Australia in the past month. He thinks it's a good thing that housing prices increase, that rents increase, that fewer and fewer Australians are not able to get onto the own-your-own-home treadmill. He thinks it's a good thing. It's a great thing. While the other fact is that every state government including the federal government, is trying to move away from the provision of public housing to the population by outsourcing the provision of public housing to the private sector through social, affordable and community housing groups, which are privately owned and privately run. That's a fact. But when, even when the Victorian Royal Commission into Mental Health makes the recommendations that we have an extra 2,000 social housing units, you begin to understand how little understanding there seems to be in terms of the private-public divide. It's just quite extraordinary. It is extraordinary. These are facts which aren't important in our world today, not important in the Australian narrative. These are facts. Another fact which is not important in the Australian narrative, irrespective of the Uluru Statement or not. The fact is that this land was colonised in the most brutal fashion, that no treaty was ever entered into the, with the original owners and that we continue to suffer the consequences of that colonisation process. That's a fact. But every time it's raised, 
in the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC by people going out in the streets, it's forgotten the next day. It's not an issue. It's not an issue. So there are facts, and there are facts. There are facts that are important which support the current national narrative about who we are, and there are facts which highlight how we are not the people we like to think we are, which are ignored, not discussed, buried away. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. It gets even better. It really does. Now, remember the armed forces scandal with the uh, special forces in Afghanistan. The fact that the government was forced to hold an inquiry, which has taken over five years, and the inquiry basically confirmed what many Australian troops who'd served in Afghanistan had been saying for many, many years, that certain elements of the Australian armed forces in Afghanistan had gone rogue. That's a, that's a nice word to say, we're killing people outside the theatre of war. Now, we were told that the government was going to investigate and hold special investigations and uh, you know, bring perpetrators to heel. Now, we've seen over the last two months that the top brass have basically been exonerated and we're told that the atrocities that occurred at the, Australian, at the hands of the Australian Armed Forces were basically the work of uh, rogue elements within a highly disciplined armed forces. All right? And it gets even more interesting. I don't know how many people realise that the army is about to sack three whistleblowers, three soldiers who came forward to describe what they had seen, to describe what orders they had to follow by senior officers who are now going to be sacked. So you come forward at your own personal expense. I'm talking about emotionally and physically. The fact that you're ostracised by uh, you know f- other members of the armed forces who are trying to uh, cover their tracks. You're a whistleblower and you're sacked. What message did that send to other whistleblowers in this country? You've got whistleblowers who find themselves in court currently because they blew the whistle on Australia's Secret Service, uh, what was happening in uh, East Timor, the Kaliri, the burnt Kaliri and Witness uh, K case. You've got many other cases. You've got the ridiculous situation of a man in Canberra being secretly tried, secretly sentenced and secretly kept in jail. And now there's an inquiry. Extraordinary. So what message does this send to whistleblowers across the country? And the fact is that most whistleblowers pay the penalty 
for blowing the whistle on unacceptable, totally unacceptable practices in the institutions or organisations that they're working in. And if the armed forces goes ahead, this is the army goes ahead and sacks these three whistleblowers, it only continues to shut the door. Not only do we have a federal government actively pursuing people and taking them to court who leak material which highlights shortcomings, inadequacies, illegal acts, including murder, in this country, and then being admonished, charged for it. Think about it. Another fact that we don't like to talk about. All right, let's move on. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? The current media circus, which has evolved around the sexual assault allegations that are swirling around the current government's head. And it's interesting how our political representatives are not breaking ranks. And I'm looking at most of the major political parties. They're not breaking ranks on this. And how they make the right noise, tut-tut noise, you know, tears me apart. But when you look at the story and how the allegations were handled, you realise that a political representative's allegiance, especially in a two-party system, is to the political party. That's right. It's to the political party. So when you elect a representative to parliament at the state or federal level, their primary allegiance, especially in blue ribbon seats where pre-selection means election, that political representative, primary allegiance is to the political party because if they lose political party endorsement, they lose elections. It is not due to the, it's not due to the people they represent. So how do we introduce truth into the political process? One way of breaking that political party allegiance is by making political representatives directly responsible to the people. And you do this by introducing the power of recall. What that means is that if a parliamentarian during their three or four year tenure, if a significant number of the uh, their rep- of their uh, people they represent sign a petition calling for a fresh election in between elections because they are they feel that they are not representing the interests of the people who elected them, and a second election is called in between elections. If political parties knew, if representatives of political parties knew that they could actually be taken to task by the electorate in between elections through the power of recall, you would find a situation where that type of tight little little club atmosphere that we see in Canberra and Spring Street and other state parliaments would begin to break down. Because currently in Australia... 
once somebody is elected, there's nothing you can do in between elections to ensure that they keep their their promises. And if they go rogue, there's really nothing you can do. Uh, you can do as we we're seeing. I mean, in the su- sexual assault allegations, uh, which are swirling around a cabinet minister's head, we know that legally there's nothing can be done. The complainant is dead. The state police investigate the matter. They're no longer able to continue the investigations. The federal police have... They have uh, power in terms of uh, federal legislation. They have power in terms of the ACT, but they don't actually have any power as far as state investigations to rape allegations are concerned. So that particular issue irrespective of whether the minister, you know, pops his head up or not, is dead. And we see this media circus developing round these allegations. Now, when High Court, the retired High Court Justice Dyson, when the High Court learnt that there were many complaints about his behaviour as a High Court judge, they launched an investigation into Dyson. It wasn't a legal forum, but an investigation which was carried out by a senior bureaucrat who found the allegations were proven. Well, Mr Morrison could do exactly the same thing. Irrespective of whether the minister pops up or not and denies the allegations... He could set up an investigation into the allegations to see if there is any substance to the allegations because if the allegations are just allegations, they turn out to be allegations, it clears the minister. And if the allegations are confirmed, then then decisions have to be made regarding that particular minister. You can't just forget about it. And that's the problem. Political parties in a two-party system, we have a dominant two-party system, especially in the House of uh, Representatives in the lower house. Politicians' allegiance is not to the issue. It is to their political party. The political party is what ensures they continue to be representatives. So we need to think about introducing the power of recall in between elections, the power for the community that a particular elected official represents to be recalled in between elections. And this is nothing radical. It's carried out by a number of jurisdictions in the United States of America. And the other thing that we need in this country, which the Swiss have had for decades, is the power of citizens-initiated referendums. It's the power of the citizens to put a question to the people bypassing Parliament and incorporating that resolution in the constitution of that particular country. But these are two important issues that we need to look at. Now, a lot of people are saying to me, the coalition and to a lesser extent the, the opposition is showing no human decency 
You mean that? No human decency in their response to the sexual assault allegations which are swirling around Parliament currently. No human decency. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you expect any human decency from political parties which have demonised, ostracised, imprisoned without trial, asylum seekers and refugees for years in this country. Human decency is something that should be extended to all human beings, not just citizens or residents. So if you expect this government especially to have any human decency as far as its response to sexual, allega- sexual allegations, sexual assault allegations is concerned, do not expect anything. For far too long, as electors, we have given these people power to continue this anti-human anti-human response to a section of the population that has come here looking for asylum or refuge. It's about political power and what investigations are held, how they're held, their response to the investigations, as we will see with the Aged Care Royal Commission and the Victorian Mental Health Royal Commission, is to a significant degree a product of the pressure which is placed on political representatives. So you can't, in one instance, show no human decency to one section of the population and then expect the government to show human decency to its own citizens. If you want to talk about human decency, how about last week's announcement that... uh, people on JobSeeker would have an increase of $3.27. It could have been $3.57 a day. I mean, does that show any human decency to our fellow citizens and residents, let alone human decencies to refugees and asylum seekers? So if you want human decency from a government, maybe, maybe ultimately the responsibility is ours. It's all very well for me to point my finger at a political representative and say, well, 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 this is the system and they're not good enough and we need to get somebody else. But the tragedy is that we in Australia, unlike people in Myanmar who are under a military dictatorship which is happy to you know, shoot them on sight, we in Australia currently still have the power to determine who our political representatives are. Now, obviously, that power is limited because of the intrusion of the corporate-owned media and how they push and push and push for groups to gain power which support anything which which uh, increases their profits, as we saw with the Facebook-Google fiasco. But that's the reality, isn't it? That's what we need to think about. You want human decency? Well, we need to extend human decency to everybody in this country, not just citizens and residents, temporary you know, visa holders, what human decency is shown to temporary visa holders who are consistently exploited by sections of this society, you know. So human decency doesn't exist in a capitalist society. 
No way does the concept of human decency exist in a capitalist society. Just one last interesting little fact, which I may not go into. Drugs. You know, in New South Wales, sewerage analysis, that's the big thing these days, sewerage analysis, they worked out that um, the people of New South Wales consume 1.3 tonnes of cocaine and 3.1 tonnes of miffle amphetamine. Interesting facts, isn't it? Looks like the drug, the, the war on drugs in Australia has come to a screeching end. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. My name is Joseph Toscano. And just in case, human decency, just like to remind you that this gentleman, Dr. Usama Al Hassani, an Australian uh, citizen, has been arrested in Morocco, which is a monarchy. He's a joint. He's got joint citizenship of Saudi Arabia and uh, Australia. He's been arrested in Morocco. He's about to be deported, if not today, maybe tomorrow, back to Saudi Arabia for having the audacity to uh, criticise the Saudi Arabian authorities. And what has the Australian government done? Nothing. What has the media done? Nothing. Apart from SBS, because he's a foreigner, isn't he? Although he's an Australian citizen, we haven't heard about his dilemma, although he's been arrested three weeks ago. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And remember, this is the country where you can have the best education money can buy, the best health care money can buy, the best aged care money can buy, and the best legal representation, as we saw in the Cardinal Pearl case, money can buy. And what's the common denominator? Money. And who has the money? That 9% of the population with disposable income who can use this country's investment-friendly laws. The rest of you, including me, bad luck. You've been to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Web pages, pipsy.net. Join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest now. Download the application form. We're nearing 450 members on the, uh, on the electoral roll in the party. We need another 100 and we'll be able to apply for registration as a federal party as well as a state-based party. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. A few sites of interest, pipsy.net, that's public interest before corporate interest, public housing, everybody's business, anarchistmedia.org. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live across community radio stations and the World Wide Web. Uh, Listen in to The Anarchist World this week, next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.
So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.